pain is passed down from father to son and son to son. A lot of pain in Troy's life is a result of the pain and the damage from his father that he then visits on his son. We have to, as black men, be mindful of that. Sometimes it's unfair, and sometimes we take it out on those we love. And, and I'm Welcome to a special podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf, where today we have an intimate conversation with the author of Punch Me Up to the Gods, Mr. Brian Broom. Enjoy. Tuned in to the Bros Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on our podcast. Thank you. I ain't talking to you. I'm thanking him, <laughs> not oh. you. Okay. <laughs> what the heck? Okay. Right. It was very nice to meet you. I think I'm about to log off because he's already on one. <laughs> hold on. Let me get started first. <laughs> Welcome to a special podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf. Tonight is the first time that we had an actual author upon our podcast. This is the Bros Bookshelf Podcast with your host, Lennon Givens. I'm here joined with my better half. For about 15 minutes. Teresa, Dr. Teresa Givens. Very nice to meet you. Welcome. Thank you. And we're here with my original host, Mr. Walt Baby Love. What's going on? What's going on? And then we also have my line brother, the Deuce Dog, Mr. Donovan Snipe. What's happening? And then we're here joined with the Smooth baritone, silky voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton III. <laughs> and once again, we have Mr. Not Ordinary, but Mr. Extraordinary, Mr. Soon-to-be Dr. Derek Ivan Heck on the podcast, my line brother, the 17th of fall 2001. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Uh, especially glad to be here uh, with, with Brian. Now, Derek, yes. why don't you bring in our special guest for me? Okay. So this gives me a great deal of pleasure to bring Brian in uh, to this podcast. One, I want to say thank you for being here. Thanks for being flexible. And we've had a couple of dates. Um, and so I appreciate you for uh, moving things around and, and getting here uh, and, and being with us. This is a group of people that are near and dear to me, uh, particularly the, the lead host, uh, we've known each other now for you know 20 years. I would say we're we're, we're barking. Uh, well, yeah, more than 20 years now, and uh, it's been a friendship that has weathered uh, many many seasons. And so I just look forward to um, to what's what's next for all of us um, individually and collectively. Uh, and he started doing this podcast, and one of the things I like about the podcast is that. 
he wasn't trained in it. Uh, he wasn't schooled in it. He didn't go somewhere and said, let me learn how to do this. He said, you know what? I'm going to launch this thing as an idea. And speaking of airplanes that we talked about earlier, he has been building the plane as it has been flown. And so uh, adding pieces here, taking pieces apart, but ultimately taking flight. And uh, I've seen the podcast grow and uh, has some great guests on here. He's got some great co-hosts on here as well. And the conversations have been rich uh, and they have been They've done some justice to the book. So the way they do the podcast is that uh, the, the book, it's not a book review, but the book does drive a discussion. So they have book themes. And so it'll drive discussions that might bring in current topics uh, and how the book weaves into one's own life. But uh, it's, it's the driving force behind the book. But it's enough to whet the appetite to go and get the book if you want to go and, you know, and further explore. So I think that's what we're going to do here. And since you're the first author to be on the show, this is a um a historic day um for for the podcast and so i'm glad to be be part of that now how would i introduce brian because brian's met two two different me's and i've only met uh one one brian brian met straight Derek, and then he met uh his com his gay comrade uh that he could keep you with uh <laughs> like like an old friend but i think once we found ourselves able to be vulnerable and transparent, everything else opened up and it became friendship that um, that's helped me in, in tremendous ways. I've been able to heal in many ways and find joy. Even in the challenging narratives of the book, I find joy in that there's, there's somebody else who I've, I've, I've been able to watch and not only watch, but they, they've written about navigating this, this role. And uh, to have him here on the other side of that has been a, uh, a, a, a Tremendous blessing for me. And I know he's sick of me texting him about every moment I come across the book and it's like, oh, this happened and I got to tell you about it. Uh, so I'm sure that. But let me um, let me give you some of the background. So Brian Broom, this is his debut memoir. I mean, he comes out of the box strong. I mean, you would think that he's been writing forever and he probably has but that he's been in the kind of public space forever. But this is his debut memoir. Um, it's a New York Times uh, editor's uh, pick and the winner of a 2021 Kirkus Prize for nonfiction. He is a contributing columnist at the Washington Post. His work has appeared in Hippocampus, Poets and Writers, Medium, and more. Brian was a Kerr Leroy Irvis, uh, K, Irvis Fellow and an instructor in the writing program at the University of Pittsburgh. And what's important about him being a K. Leroy Irvis Fellow, we both share in that. K. Leroy Irvis is a Pennsylvania icon. He was the first Black Speaker of the House in Pennsylvania, well, the Commonwealth. So it's really important to be um, kind of honored in that way. And he also won a Van Award. And if you know anything about Van, uh, the Van Award is most likely named after Robert L. Van, who was the editor of the Pittsburgh Courier, which was the black newspaper in Pittsburgh that had a bigger readership than the Chicago Defender. And so people don't know that about the about the, uh, the Courier, but it's, it's an important historic newspaper that's still running um, uh, in Pittsburgh and part of a larger black publishing house to this day, I still believe. Um, so I think that was an important thing. Um, he, his film Garbage won the Audience Choice Award at the Cortada uh, Short Film Festival and was a semifinalist for the Portland Short Fest. Uh, Brian was a 2022 writer in residence at St. Mary's College in Moraga, Moraga, California. That's how we reconnected when he was back out this way. But he's recently taken a post back in the uh, Pittsburgh region uh, over in West Virginia. So he's there. I won't say for how long, for a short while. He may be coming back out to the Bay 
if, um, if the if the ocean calls him back this way. But um, he's a brilliant writer. He's a great friend, um, and uh, I look forward to today's discussion. Amazing, 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 awesome. I'm sorry, that just caught me off guard. I didn't expect the crowd. I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, now I know. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, we well equipped over here. We, we got all the gadgets, the tools, <laughs> all, all of that. Mr. Broom, this is what I want to do right quick. I am known for bigging up people and exaggerating their talent. And I think it's very important for you to know how good you are, how great you are, and what p- other people think about you. With that being said, I want to bring Walt into what I'm saying. And I want Walt, first of all, I met Walt. Walt was in college. I was a full adult. I was like in my early 30s. Walt was still playing football at the University of Toledo. He was a young bruh. Walt is an entrepreneur. So I want to bring Walt in and let Walt tell you what this book has done for him and how he felt after reading this book. All right, Brian. Uh, first and foremost, man, I, I would like to say, like, um, as far as being a writer, uh, I think you're a very brilliant writer. The way that you write and the way that I read this book, well, I listened to the book on uh, Audible, right? And the way I was visualizing the book as I was reading it, uh, I was able to, like, extract, like, the way you was putting your words together, I was able to, like, extract the words from the pages and, like, really, really dive deep into what you were saying, you know? Um, and me being a heterosexual man, this is a book that I probably would have never read before, but the, given the platform of the bros bookshelf, it allowed me to open my, um, eyes and broaden my horizons as it relates to, uh, the struggles in which African-American black men face within the, uh, the community. And in addition to that, as far as like just some of the, some of your upbringing, uh, some of the things you dealt with overall as a, a personal individual, uh, man, you you really dive deep and deep into the soul of yourself. And I think this book definitely be willing to uh, to help other individuals that may be going through some of the similar challenges that you face too growing up as well. You know. Thank you, thank you very much. I mean, I'm going to leave this with a huge head. I mean, um, you, you know, need to. <laughs> um, you know, the writing of the book was difficult. You know, I um, I was writing it. I wrote it. Um, I mean, I started writing it because I was in rehab um, because I was severely addicted to alcohol and, and drugs. And Frank, Frank. Frank, Frank. Um, I just went to rehab because I, everybody kept telling me that's what I needed to do. And I just decided to shut everybody up and go. But you know, while I was there, I was like, why the hell am I here? Like, why am I here? Um, And that's when I opened up the little notebook they give you in rehab and I started writing these stories. And my point being that, you know, it's gratifying to know that, you know, my little stories about, you know, stuff that I went through is actually having an impact. Like when I, when they first told me they were going to publish it, I thought, well, you know, that's great. Maybe five or six you know, gay boys will read it and they won't make the mistakes that I made. You know, it was like a caution. I was like, I'm just a, a book of cautionary tales. Like, you know, I thought maybe a few people will read it. And then 
you know, to my surprise, what happened was a lot of people read it. A lot of different kinds of people read it. You know, straight people, gay people, black people, white people, you know, Latina lesbians, like everybody was reading it, reading it and, you know, contacting me and saying like, I went through the same thing. It wasn't the same exact circumstances. You know, I am a Latina lesbian, but I know what it feels like to be, to feel ugly or to feel like you don't fit in or to feel like you're not measuring up. So um, to hear you say that again is, is, uh, is really gratifying. It makes me feel like I could. Things that make men brilliant among other men are our special talents. Sometimes that talent comes in the form of physical ability. Then we also have other talents like being an all-star in the classroom, creativity. You have a talent that makes you stand out. I'm going to read this part for the listeners who probably hadn't read the book and so they can understand where I'm coming from. You said, I grew roots in the bed while I stared up at the ceiling and allowed a deep depression to erode my bones. If you were a rapper, we talk, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about bars. And when you say you grew roots in your bed, like it stuck you to your bed, reading that and visualizing that is genius. It makes you stand out. So you have your worth through your mind, and that's something that you need to protect. I'm glad you did go to rehab. I think that is your greatest asset. On this note, my wife looked at your picture, and she said, I don't see where he gets ugly from because he looks like a handsome little boy. And you are a handsome grown man now. So... Go on, baby. You can say what you're going to say. I'm just letting you talk your head off. I mean, I just, you know, you were absolutely just going forward. And then when you took my point about the whole handsomeness, I really wasn't <laughs> expecting you to go there. But, you know, I was actually going to say it, but I'm glad that you did because you know it's going to come up again. I think I think we've established I'm not a threat to your marriage. Like, so. <laughs> oh, right. you, you missed right. the whole Right. Even if even if you were heterosexual, even if you look like Idris, whatever that man name is, yeah, I have confidence that super exceeds my abilities. So that's not even a factor. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, but you definitely said something a little while ago that made me say, hmm, because of course, uh, leaving the book, I, you know, you hit me with the, you went to rehab. So I was like, oh, interesting. But I, again, I don't want to get ahead of any of your creativity and where you may be going and throw anybody off. But if you look at that and going into rehab, where do you see yourself now that you've written this story? And how do you look back at everything that you experienced through the lens of having been cleansed of some of your bad behaviors? And some I'm sure you had some therapy in rehab as well and see where, where that has in your mindset with writing this book. Yeah, I mean, I'm still in therapy. I'm not I'm not completely cleansed yet, but. You know, it's like you it's like what you said. You mentioned like you look at the photo on that on the book and you think and you see a cute little boy, you know. There's a distortion that takes place 
I think, with Black people, because we grow up in a sort of a Eurocentric society. There's a distortion that takes place where you learn that what you look like, there's something wrong with what you look like, or at least that's the way it was when I was young. I think it's definitely changing now. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the 80s when I was a kid, like it was imperative to be, I mean, this was the era of, you know, I don't know if y'all remember, like, I'll be sure. Yeah, exactly. It was all light skin all the time, you know, and I grew up thinking that I was, you know, ugly. I remember, oh God, you know, like, I remember growing up In those images of, of men and women, you know, um, and I remember just believing that I was ugly. And also my peers, you know, other black people told me that I was ugly. They used to call me Dark Vader, um, you know, when I was a kid. And it was demoralizing. And so to answer the question, I mean, to be more specific about it, like, you know, now that I've, you know, and, and, get, and, and getting high just made that worse, you know. Like it just made all of that worse. You know, the higher I got to escape the problems, the worse I felt sort of, you know, psychologically. And so, you know, however ugly I thought I was when I wasn't high, I thought I was even more ugly, you know, when I got high. Not only now was I ugly, I was, you know, a degenerate as well, you know. And looking through the lens of, of you know, sobriety now after therapy and rehab, you know, I look at that photo on the book and I see a cute little boy too, you know, and I can't imagine how that little boy thought he was so ugly. Now, you know, I wish that I would have had that power then because I wouldn't have taken as much of the shit as I took. You know, I was so desperate for people to like me that I sold myself short on many, 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 many occasions. I acquiesced on many, many occasions. Um, and in order to cope with the pain of like just hating myself so much, you know, there was always liquor, there was always heroin, there was always cocaine, there was always just about everything. You know, I was a garbage can drug user. I used absolutely everything anybody put in front of me. And so now looking back, you know, uh, first of all, I got to be grateful that I'm, I'm still here because a lot of my friends didn't make it. Um, but I also see more clearly now the shit that was told to me that was utter bullshit. Um, and I can see it more clearly now. And, you know, so I can walk, I can get up in the morning and feel good about myself more so than I ever had before. Hey, Brian, quick question. Yeah. Uh, uh, going back to the book, right. Um, is it, is this book more so like, a hundred percent factual, or is it some of the characters are kind of played around a little bit to uh, make it more entertaining? No, it's a hundred percent. Everything in that book happened. Okay. Um, I changed a couple people's names um, because I didn't want the stuff that they did to kind of come back on them. Um, but only a couple people. Um, like, like who? <laughs> um, no, I just like you can't. You, if you can't say, I, you can't say. I, 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 I can't probably say. shouldn't say, right. but um, only yeah, a couple of only a couple of names were changed. Like everything in that book is absolutely true. Uh, okay, that happened. The the, the stuff the stuff about your father, right? 
do you think your father had a direct impact on the way in which you viewed yourself um, as a man growing older? That's a great question. Like, you know, I see, you know, and it's really weird because when people read the book, they talk about my father like he's some sort of villain. And I'm like, I never really wanted them to be a villain. Like, I didn't want him to cast him as such. Like, he thought what he was doing was protection, you know, uh, for a harsh world. But what he was really doing was kind of like, you know, destroying me little by little. But, you know, now I'm at... you know the age where I can feel I understand what he was going through right I do believe that my father suffered from anxiety I think he also suffered from depression Uh, I think he also suffered from a low self-esteem these are all three things that I live with you know Mm. but my father didn't have the language to talk about those things my father instead the only thing he thought he could do to combat feeling bad about himself or combat depression or combat anxiety was to take it out on my mother um, or to take it out on me. A lot of men still do that today, you know, because they don't know how to understand. They don't understand what's going on inside of themselves. We are taught as men oftentimes that to externalize it, to make to, you know, in order to be in control of it, to be in control of everything is to be, you know, well. Um, But that's not the case, you know. A lot of men do take out their insecurities on women, um, their depression on women, their anxiety on women um, and children sometimes. So I now that I am the age that my father was, you know, um, when all of this kind of like went on in my life, I understand he was scared. He, he had he, my father never graduated high school. Um, he had a, a job that was supporting like his whole family. He lost that job and it was more about it was more than i lost my job i can't support my family it was more about who the hell am i now i lost my identity i lost my my identity exactly you know and he didn't know that was too that was too much for him and he sank into a deep depression he went to live in an old abandoned house you know it was it was weird did your mom kick him out um (laughs) pretty much i mean they they got divorced and he wasn't accepting the divorce um what do you mean by that what's that he was not leaving uh, at one point (laughs) um and my my mother was just like i don't know how exactly she got him to leave the house but he left and he didn't have anywhere to go he didn't have any plans so he went and moved into a house that he grew up in that was actually abandoned and it didn't have running water or electricity. And he just stayed in that house and it was, and he's had kerosene lamps. And at the time I didn't understand this is depression. This is, you know, right. Right. Everybody just called him, you know, you know, crazy and lazy, a no account man, you know, but he was severely depressed. And I understand that now, you know, I was mad at him then. But I understand that now. Well, that's definitely uh, it was part of the first question that I asked, too. When you look back and you've seen all those things, when do you think you came to the realization of everything that you see now um, outside of some of the things that you were saying in the book? I think it's, it's just been slowly over time. You know, I think about, you know, all those stories in the book I've thought about extensively, you know, and I thought about my bad behavior as well. 
you know. But here's the thing, you know, I was more, I was interested not in casting people as villains and heroes, like least of all myself. I was interested in trying to understand why certain people do the things that they do, you know, when those things aren't necessarily ennobling, you know. I was interested in understanding why my father was so hard on me and why he acted so strange. I was interested in knowing like why my mother was so distant, you know, uh, when I was growing up. Um, and I found that out like through subsequent conversations with her or why, or why my parents, when I was growing up, I didn't know their situation, but I, but I never understood why they didn't talk or hug or kiss or any of that stuff. And I just thought that's the way parents were, you know, but come to find out, you know, my mother was pretty much forced to marry my father. She didn't want to marry him, you know, um, and that just explained everything, you know. So right. little by little over time, um, you know, I've learned to not be so angry at, at them uh, or myself um, or really any of the people who supposedly did me wrong, you know, back in the day. I wanted to understand. So. I think that's one of the main thrusts of the book, too. You know. Well, I am I am extremely happy for you at this point, and I'm very happy that you're here because that was one of the things that I said about the book when we were reading the book was just it was so heavy on me how you felt about yourself and it kind of weighed on me in a way that made me feel kind of responsible too I'm like I, I was very unhappy that you were so unhappy uh, that was part of what what I said when we were talking before you came on but I do want to let all of you know that even though it was the LB Shore days and all of that, but some of us girls really liked Bobby Brown, you know. There, there are some, and I was actually a Bobby Brown boys girl. Did too. There go. Oh, that, see, there you go. So it's nothing wrong with being dark. It's absolutely nothing wrong with being dark, and it's absolutely nothing wrong with being rugged and rough. That was that was that was, that was all me. Yes. <laughs> and I want to I wanted to jump in and say this as a father uh, myself when as a man when you're working and you're providing and your identity is is wrapped up into your your job and your ability to provide also when you're married to a woman that you're not getting any type of participation from any type of affection from and you've been hearing your life how eccentric you look with your features. Those oh, are yeah. triggers. So, and then in the book, you brought up your dad's brother being being a homosexual and him getting harmed. So your dad was triggered by your mother. Uh, he was like, I make, I make the money, I pay the bills, you still don't respect me? He was triggered by his son, possibly, and reminded him of his uncle. So I think he was being triggered and he was trying to protect you as well as going into the, like this deep state. And I think you're it, right. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. And and no. you end up being just like him. Yeah. So when you started going into your de depression, when your mother came and got you from college and she saying she's saying this little light of mine and you said you you repaid her back by trying to put that little light out, that hurt me. Man, I was like, that was that, as a, as a parent, that was so harmful. And you know what? You know what hurt the most about that scene? 
your mother had no idea how deep and what you was going through and how deep it was. Yeah. And, she, and, and if you would have done that and you would have been successful in that, you would have never given her an opportunity or your dad an opportunity to dig deep and really buckle down and, and save you. Yeah. But they, I mean, but they was dealing with stuff themselves. They so were dealing with stuff themselves. Yeah, know, so I, that was a deep part in the book, man. I mean, when you were writing this book and you were being as open and honest as you were, that took some type of uh some type of bravery uh to do that. How how did you do that and how did you get through that process of saying, damn, am I gonna write this down and let the world see it? Did it make you have anxiety when the book was being published? Oh my god. Well, I, I made a deal with myself that when I got to difficult parts that I would just write it all out. I would just write it like, you know, no holds barred. I would just write it and then I would never show it to anybody, <laughs> you know. Um, so what I did was, I you know, when I got to parts that were difficult for me to write, I just wrote it all out. And then I told myself, you know, later on, I can go back and take things out you know, um, and clean it up a little bit. But what I found was, you know, when I just wrote it all out, um, you know, the way it happened and all the, all the, uh, you know, the uglier things, when I came back to read it, like the next day, two days later, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, you know, like it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And so I would just leave it. You know, and I did that over and over again. I'm just going to write it out. I can always take it out. I can always, you know, so I kind of tricked myself a little bit, like into writing it all out and then saying to myself, like, I'm, I'm going to go back and delete some stuff. But then I'd always go back and it wasn't, you know, on the second or third read, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Because in when you're writing, sometimes, sometimes when you're writing about yourself, like you become a character, you know, you can kind of create a sort of distance between yourself and the person that you're writing about on the page, it's a weird mind trick that you can do. Um, but then, you know, to answer further in your question, the day before the book came out, I really, really thought about calling my publisher and saying, I'm going to give you all, all this money back. Um, <laughs> let's call the whole thing off. Like, I literally was like this close. Like, um, you know, I don't want to do this. Um you know, I think I was like, I was just about to like text my agent and be like, you know what, let's, you know, but even if I had done that, they would have been like, it's too late, bro. You like things are signed. But I really did have a, a panic moment. Like, I remember the book came out, I believe on May 18th of last year. And I think May 17th, I was a mess, like all day. Um, I didn't want I didn't want it to come out. But I mean, obviously, I'm glad that it did. But writing the hard stuff, you know, my advice, if you're writing the hard stuff is to just write it and then walk away from it and then come back and see if it still stings, you know, to read it. Oftentimes it won't sting as bad as you think it will. That's good. Harvey. Well, I'm glad to have the opportunity to meet you, first of all. And you know, you. tonight is an episode of Say It To Your Face. You know, <laughs> they always say, how they talk about how people say stuff. So I rated your book a 4.5. I didn't like it. And um, and it's not because you're not a good writer. Like everything people said about you being a great writer was there. Um, I spoke about this pain that you was putting off, right? 
tonight you said this book was a book of cautionary tales. Had that been the title of your book, I'd have got it and you got a 10 from me. <laughs> wow. Straight up. What makes, what makes a difference? It's a difference. How does it's, the title a difference. The... It's, a, it's a difference because him saying that this is a book of cautionary tales and I'm showing this because I don't want people to make these mistakes. I don't think that's the read. The read is feel sorry for this guy and all these bad things that happened to him. And so we're sucked into feeling sorry for you. And, and this part that you're trying to say about don't follow my mistakes, that completely gets lost. That part is completely lost. Now, I think the 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 the, the sorrow of, of the, the black story is sensational. And so you writing your lived experience was very therapeutic for you. And I think that is that's healing. Right. And I can't I would definitely encourage everyone to participate in that. And I feel like, you know, would you have produced this story on your own merit? Probably not. It sounds like, you know, once you make this contract with these folks, they're going to push what, what they what they what they what they're going to say is going to sell. And this is a, a topic that sells. It's a it's a tantalizing story, if you will. But all this ownership about the, the, the grief and the harm that you're talking about tonight, that was my concern that the average person was going to miss in this book. They were going to only focus on your dad was a bad person. They was yeah. going to only focus on Twan's dad was a bad person. They was going to only focus on people not liking people because they're gay and completely miss the whole systemic nature of why we got to this problem. And then this point about you, let me make sure I didn't miss something because, you know, you're talking about, you know, going through therapy and I see you today. You look good. You know, you, you look like you, you're together and I heard you say you're still working and working is still being, you know, that's a positive light. And I, and I can see that this title punch me up to the gods. I'm listening to it on audible, so I can't go back and find stuff the way I would like to. But if I'm not mistaken in the text that comes out, you're getting your ass kicked by your father. And you're saying, I wish you would punch me up to the gods. That's saying I want to fucking die. Is that what you're saying? And oh, so is no. this is this is this book a suicide letter? Is this book you saying, "Hey man, I want to get out of here," because that's what I took away from this. And I'm like, bro, that's not how we're supposed to tell this story. Right. So I missed all your power in this story. I missed oh, all of it. So that's why I didn't like it. Understood. Um, the title itself is a challenge. Um, because something that it comes from, I think it's somewhere in the text of the book. Like my father would say, you know, like a lot of fathers say, uh, you know, I, I took, I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And he would say to me, I'm going to punch you straight up to God. And the, the subtext there being, I'm going to punch you up to God and God going to remake you and bring you back so that you act right. That that's where the title comes from. So. The title is kind of like this, well, punch me up to God. Like I'm coming back the same way that I was go I was before you punched me. Like so okay. the title isn't about suicide. Okay. Um the title is about like I dare you to punch me up to God. So 
That's, that's where the title comes from. That's well, that's pretty good. But Harvey, even if it was, like, so what? Why are we trying to pretend like we've never been in situations where we're like, man, I'd rather be dead than to deal that's, with this? Like, that's, what is the issue? That's not, that's not the issue. The issue is what I spoke about before. It's this transferring of pain that I'm. I, and, and, and recognize that, like, of, in that moment, that strength may not be able to be seen. Like, sometimes that strength isn't. And you said no. very clearly it wasn't. So I am so happy to hear that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like this yeah, is I do. the and best I, thing that can happen to me is to hear that I misinterpreted what you were saying. Because no, how I not, heard it wasn't cool. Yeah, it's not an so interesting. I'm happy to be at this space right now. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not missing this. Uh, you know, it's not it's not I I I think it was just really, really quickly, like uh like when you Brian, when you opened, you talked about how Latina uh different people found themselves in your book. Right. And how people find yourself in the book. And then to Harvey's point about had it been labeled a cautionary tale, I, I struggle with that because I think I think Harvey's reflection of the book is an indicator of Harvey's position with kind of the people and places and practices and themes in the book. That's and he has a from what I'm reading, there's a there's a discomfort with some of those themes and some of those ideas in, in the book. And, and I think he, he's reading into that. What I read from the book, it was consistently wading through this person wading through so many attempts to break his spirit. And so when I say I saw strength from start to finish through a tale of really some dark times some dark circumstances, some, some dark situations, I thought what a powerful soul that is emerging on the other side of this. I never thought of the book as a catalog of one person's weakness. For me, it was a catalog of one person's strength through um, a, a, a bunch of relationships. Like we, we have this thing, and we say this, relationships, um, to me, love is unconditional. I think your parents love you unconditionally, but to be in relationship with you, their conditions of those were very damaging to you. Because had they been far away from you, maybe they would not have hurt you in that same way, but their relationship with you was really damaging. But I don't doubt that they never, that they, they, they never love you. But love is the easy point. The relationship is the hard part. And I think the relationships that you had to endure with your brother, your sister, your mom, and your dad, those are the things I think that 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 Harvey might be struggling with um, and that he sees those. But I see the person who on the other, who's emerging on the other side. I, I don't see the, that that same negative, that same negative space. And I'm, and I'm going to say this sometimes to put it as a cautionary tale that narrows the scope of the book, that narrows the point of the book. And as a, a gay black man, there are some people who are only comfortable being in proximity with the gay or the queer community as a help. Oh, I'll help you if we can do this for you. And I'll help you if I can see you in this black. You, you're not used to just saying, I'm going to invite Derek and his partner over for dinner. Like, I'm, like that's not the one that you're comfortable. You, you, you'd rather be in proximity to the worst ideas about who I am or the worst narratives about who you think I can be rather than normalizing or equalizing my presence in the space. And so I think that that to have it as a cautionary tale makes it too comfortable for people to say, oh, that's OK. That's a book for those people and their struggles. And which is, I don't think that's what this is at all. This is my opinion, Brian. My opinion is so left field. This one part, it was one of my uh, my lit bars. We do this portion up on the podcast where we do lit bars. Right. And you said too dark skinned with teeth in my head crawling all over each other like they were trying to escape a house on fire, right? 
I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and I lead into that saying that instead of having somebody punch you up to the gods, I was waiting till you punch back. I wanted you to punch Corey in his mouth. I didn't <laughs> like Corey. I was hoping, you know, in reading what you were saying and, and knowing that you were journaling, I grew up in, in Monroe, Louisiana in the 80s as well. The guys that we suspected were gay, they fought back. You know, we did, we used to say cracking. We used to crack on the bus to school, right? And you come, you go to somebody's house, you'll see like a roach or you'll see like a bill, but uh, they about to get their lights turned off. You'll just put that in your pocket and then you'll wait till you get on the bus. And then when once they start saying something, you'll be like, oh, I know why you mad. Y'all about to get y'all lights turned off. I just saw the bill, you know, or or whatever, right? You seem creative enough where you could have shut everybody up and made everybody like you for your creativity. As I was reading the book, I didn't didn't see strength. I disagree with Derek. I didn't see any strength. It seemed like you fumbled on the other side. And then you like, oh, you know, like you landed on the other side, you stumbled, and now... I have this talent, and now I can go with with this talent that I've been keeping dormant. I can go clean up uh, what I did in the past, and because you're using your talent, you you have the opportunity, like covenant it. opportunity, to be on the bros bookshelf on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast tonight, where I can where with I can you can sit here with millions with, of listeners, with millions of listeners, where I can where I can pontificate <laughs> you and exhort you and lift you up. And I hope my words can lift you up and keep you up, and you can go on and write another great literary. I can't class. Wait for the second book. I can't. Yeah, wait for the second I'm book. lifting. Yeah, listen, but Brian, one, one, one of the things that we talked about, Brian, there seemed when we were having this first conversation, there seemed to be this great distance between you and I, because you know, Lenny and Teresa and Donovan, these folks, they they know me, and I have had an apparently productive life, right? It looks productive. You you were addicted to drugs. I was addicted to the things around me. This like let's be successful to to work, and I was getting high on those things. And so I didn't see many different um, uh, miles between us. I saw like some some very close parallels. When you thought you were ugly, I just knew that I was always queer and gay. So I'm always sitting there knowing that no matter how much I shine, this one thing could take me out. Right. And so I never saw much distance between the two of us, but that was, that was part of the discussion. Oh, but there you were doing this and you done these things and done these things. And all those things, I was still in some of the same anguish. I would rather be in my, I mean, I, I, I'm going months without uh, chatting with my parents. There were, I went to such a deep depression mm-hmm. that my parents sent my brother to FAMU to come and find me because yeah. I didn't know what my next move was going to be because I was yeah. addicted to productivity and anything that was going to through that. I was panicking about it because I had no idea what my next move was. And so I didn't see the gaps between between us. I, I felt as vulnerable as you. I felt as hurt as you. Um, and knowing that you have promise, knowing that you have promise to be something, but also knowing that there's one piece or one element of yourself that someone would slam a door in your face for, not allow you to, be, uh, to, to fully shine. And so the anxiety of ever being mm-hmm. found out was a weight that I that I carried for decades, although it looked as though I was very productive. Yeah. I was still sometimes in the same very miserable space as you. In the previous podcast, Derek said he was passing that straight 
uh, while he was yeah. in college, while he was in high school, and some parts of his adult life as well, too. At what point in your life, or did you struggle with the passing episode within your life as well, too? Um, you know, <laughs> I thought I was. I thought I was passing, but I mean, everybody knew. I mean, you know, I didn't tell anybody I was gay, but everybody knew. Like, you know, there are certain things that I didn't do, you know, in my community that led people to sort of like, um, you know, think that I was gay. There were certain things that I did do. It wasn't, a, you know, when I first met Derek, I mean, I was like, who is this straight motherfucker? Like, uh, you know, I was like, Ugh. I mean, he was, you know, he was nice enough, but I mean, I was absolutely <laughs> certain that he was straight. Like, I never had that. Child. I don't no, want to say I don't want to say you wanted, you, you wanted to wear pink shirts at 12 years old. Right. I mean. Didn't do a good job in hiding it. No. I mean, and I couldn't. It wasn't like, I wasn't like I was trying to. And I, I mean, I just couldn't. Like, right. Because it was a part things, of you. It was a part of me. The things that yeah. I was interested in were not boy things, you know. But to, you know, to Harvey's point about, you know, the net, I think what Harvey is saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. You can tell I'm me if I'm you, wrong. Yeah. You, you can say anything you want, my brother. Go ahead. To we Harvey's are. point, but that's I what Brian that said. To Harvey's a, point, because it's an it's an argument that I get a lot. It's a it's a for people who don't like the book, and it's fine when people don't like the book. Obviously, people say it's a trauma narrative, and that we have too many black trauma narratives. We have too many black. We but, our lives are trauma filled, right? And you should be able you should be able to write about that. But here's the here's the thing. There's a metaphor at the at the very end of the book that I don't that you know I don't think many pick many people picked up on because I'm terrible at writing metaphors. But um, there's at the very end of the book, I am uh, writing a letter to Tuan, and I say to him, I'm in the south of France. It's a beautiful day, um, and I'm looking out at the water. And what I'm surprised by at the time was that the beaches in the south of France are not sand, that they're rocks and they're big rocks, they're sharp rocks. And so like the last thing I say to Tuan and to the reader in the book is, I am going to take off my shoes and walk over these sharp ass rocks. I'm going to walk across all of them until I get to the ocean. And when I get to the ocean, I'm going to let it lift me up and I'm going to float there and look up at the fucking sky. Right. That for me is a metaphor for the whole book. In order to get there, I had to walk across sharp rocks. Um, and now I can see the fullness of everything. So more so that, you know, when I push back against people saying that it's a trauma narrative, I try to point them to that passage and say, like, that's you got to get to the end. You know, that's what this whole book was about. And, you know, although I do not want other black gay boys to do the things that I did, drugs being the most, you know, obvious, um, you know, I do see them sort of as cautionary tales. Like, don't, don't, don't devalue yourself so much that you will do things that don't serve you, that do not um, uplift you. You know, uh, so that kind of was my point 
in writing it. Like, um, you know, there are, you know, and also, you know, I'm not some, some like hero in this book either. I do a lot of shitty stuff. Um, to be, oh, we know. I think that metaphor went over a lot of people's heads because when you're talking to black people and you're talking about walking, walking over rough rocks <laughs> and going into the ocean, them, them Negroes about to drown because they can't swim. <laughs> See, and so, and so, Brian, go, going back to my thinking that this was, you know, I saw it as you was trying to escape. Yeah, I said, this brother I mean, trying to get away from here. What's that again? I was thinking that as you were saying, you're trying to get away from here. That's the that's that's what I took away from the ending piece. Yeah. So that's why, you know, again, I'm glad you you saying what you what you meant because I I, I read something, I, I felt something totally different. I felt like yeah. you would, you know, but I get it. Everybody Harvey, reads different, you know. Harvey, Everybody right now, different. now that you have a clear, lucid understanding, you get an opportunity to rate the book. In the face of the man. He's still it's a, give it a, it's a six and a half. I'm gonna give it a six oh, and a half. You, <laughs> he you think we're gonna change our mind because we're looking at his face? But this is still well, some people are Harvey. Some people be that fucked up Harvey. Some people be that fucked up Harvey. That's just what it I is. I get it. Donovan, I, I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Do you have any questions for the author? Um I do, but I can't like because there's like this thin line between like uh, it seems like you're trying to cross this not cross but like there's this um, this double need to fit in between like whiteness and like straightness that seems to be like a running theme throughout the story that I wanted you to kind of like talk on some more because like it's one thing to be gay it's one thing to be black but it's also a different thing to be like gay and black and like the two aren't always the same so like I kind of wanted you kind of you to kind of delve in navigating that space more off more so because it, it seems like there was like some things going on with that. Uh, there were a lot of things going on with that. Like, you know, I, um, you know, I think I probably bought into a lot of the messages that, you know, that I received about blackness. You know, I was watching a lot of TV. I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid and there was those shows on like, family ties and, you know, and like, you know, all these sort of really super white, happy dappy shows. And I thought that was reality. Like, I really thought that that was reality. Like when I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old and my own situation in my own house was so bad. Like I equated blackness with dysfunction when I was a kid. Um, And I also equated like just being gay with just being the worst possible thing you could be. I was getting it from both sides, really. Like I thought, I felt like, you know, white people would call me the N word and then I would go back to my neighborhood and black people would call me the F word. So I was just in this spot where I was like, you know, well, shit, nobody wants me. Um, And so those were really hard roads to navigate. And like what it does is it just puts you into this like place where you don't like yourself and you are constantly, constantly trying to prove to people that you deserve love. You know, and that's where I was when I was a kid, when I was growing up, you know, I was, um, you know, kind of, I mean, a mess. Um, And then as the drug use got heavier and, and, you know, and I got more desperate, like, again, it was just this kind of vortex of just hating absolutely everything that I was, you know, 
at all times. Um, and again, it took like, you know, getting sober and a lot of therapy for me to realize that everything, all these things that I was taught by the environment that I was in were absolutely 100% wrong. And it's a hard thing to swallow, you know, when you, when you, when you learn that every, just about everything that you've been taught about yourself is wrong. It's just people trying to defend their position, you know, whiteness will always defend whiteness, you know, and, and, and to the point where it denigrates everything else. Homophobia will always be homophobic because it denigrates everybody else. It's this way of exalting yourself at the expense of other people, at the, at the expense of other human beings. My point is that I believed it. I believed all of it. And, you know, so I was at the bottom of the totem pole as far as I, I could, as far as I felt. And that was, you know, those are really difficult things to navigate, which is why I'm still in therapy today. Gotcha. I hope that answers. Do you the have a resentment towards uh, either that, that anti, anti-blackness or that anti-gayness uh, or queerness, I should say, or have you like been more, um, do you feel like that experience has given you like more resolve or more respect for either one? Uh, I'm sorry. One more time. I didn't hear the last. Sure. So, like, do you think your experience is kind of like um, made you like more uh, aware of your queerness or more like proud of it and your blackness as well, or do you think it's do you think your experience is kind of like still uh, jaded you on being either one or both? I should say. Because no, I don't think I'm jaded about being either one now. <laughs> you know, um, it it has sunk in that. That, as I said, people have been lying to me my whole life. You know, that message is definitely sunk in. So when I think about that, I think, what else are they lying about? You know, are they lying about trans people? Are they lying about, you know, uh, who's in charge? Are they lying about equality? I mean, there's so, there, you know, the more, there's so many lies floating out there that make people doubt themselves that I refuse to be a part of that anymore. Um, so, um, no, I don't think I am, you know, I mean, I write a column for the Washington Post where white people write me hate mail every day. Um, you know, I, I, write a, I, write a, I write a column for the Washington Post where, you know, straight people and religious people write me hate mail every day. And, you know, I, I'm like, well, fuck you. Like, I mean, so I feel like I'm a bit stronger in, in that, in that way. I mean, the amount of hate mail that I get is, uh, pretty scary sometimes. Brian, where did that strength come from? I, I have no idea. Sometimes you just kind of have to pretend to be strong, you know, in order to be strong. Did you learn you know? that writing this book or did you come to that before you wrote this book? Or was um, this book it, like cathartic and, and then you just like, you know what? I dumped it all out on these pages. Everybody knows now. Right. What else can you do to me? I think I think that's part of it, you know. Um, and I also think that just daily you know, just looking at what people do to each other in order to believe what they want to believe has made me a little bit wiser. People do some weird shit in order to maintain a belief that they just have to believe in for no other reason than that they have to believe it, um, you know, for whatever reason, to keep their own sanity. Um, and I, I think as I get older, I recognize how silly that is. Um, and that makes me just ignore it more. So... I don't know that it, I mean, I don't always feel strong, but I will always, you know, I will always just plow through um, 
and maybe and hopefully come out stronger on the other side. I'm scared a lot. I'm scared a lot. I'm you know when I send my you know the Washington Post like some thing about race like I know what's going to happen. You know I know somebody might find out where I live. I know you know all this stuff, but I know that I've gotten like things sent to my agent like threatening to kill me and like all this other shit. But you just do it anyway because what choice do you have? You can't not do it. You know, man. Don't worry about that, right? Just put your head down and windmill them motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) I got a purse. (laughs) 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 Hey, 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 Brian, I'm sorry. What you was going to say? I I, I was was going to ask you about your mom. My mom? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She's doing great. Uh, I just talked to her yesterday. Um, she's doing good. Uh, she liked the money I sent her. Mm-hmm. Did um, she read the book? She enjoys the book? She did like the book. You know, mm-hmm. she, um, my mother actually, uh, I didn't think she would like it. I told her what was in it and she said she wasn't going to read it. Um, and I was like, okay, so I'll just give you a copy and you can put it on yourself and you can just tell everybody your son wrote a book. And she was like, okay. But then to my surprise, she read it and she said she liked it very much. She um, now here's the thing that um, really was disappointing is that she apologized to me. um, And that's not the reaction that I wanted at all. Um, She said, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, what are you sorry about? There's nothing. I I didn't want the the book to be about that. Like um, she said she was sorry. And we had a really, really, really long and really wonderful talk about our lives, her life, my life. one of the things I learned from talking to my mom is that it's something I didn't know. My father was severely abused, um, mm. like to the point of being knocked unconscious and, and bloody by his father. That's something that I didn't know, you know, um, and she's that's something that she had never told me and something that he had never told me, um, you know, and I assume probably his father was the same. And, um, you know, a lot of things that I did not know about my family have come to light because of this book, because I'm talking to people. My brother reached out to me and he told me about, you know, my brother was the all American fucking athlete. He, he was, and still is like good looking. Um, He had all the girls. He was the exact opposite of me. Right. So I always thought he was, you know, some sort of like, I thought his life was easy. But after the book came out, my brother and I had a long talk about all the shit he had to face um, with other dudes teasing him, uh, you know, and and, yeah. and making fun of our family that. and, uh, you know, acu- accusing him of, you know, uh, you know, of being gay or whatever. I mean, he, he went through he went through it, too. I think a lot of boys go through it. You know, Bell Hooks said something really, really profound that I always think about. She said, you know, the first act of violence that men are asked to create is not an act of violence on somebody else. It is an act of violence on themselves. Um, That is to dissect and and pull out the most sensitive parts of yourself, like, and extract them from yourself and don't Mm -hmm. show them. And she said, if you don't do that, there will always be other men to punish you for not doing that. And that's what my brother my brother's story, um, you know, meant to me because, you know, he was like, I, I couldn't, I can't even cry in front of my friends. I couldn't ever talk to them about anything real because you would get made fun of. You get called a sissy. 
So it's not just me that went through these things. Uh, it is and, a and lot your of sister. My sister's doing good. Um, she is working and living in Ohio. Like she, I just got off the phone with her today, and uh, she, man, she can gossip about folks. Oh, Lord. <laughs> hey, oh, hey, Brian, quick question. Hey, don't quick tell question. my sister. Well, quick, don't tell my sister uh, nothing. <laughs> you don't want it in the streets. <laughs> Hey, hey, Brian. So, like the the, the last, so the, the the previous episode we were recording uh, about the book before you joined on this podcast uh, for this episode, we were trying to figure out about your mother, right? Like I was saying that your mother was she had moved away from the hometown. She was in Dayton, Ohio. She was enjoying herself, like you know, she was getting it in, partying, kicking it the whole nine. Being like hot a modern day summer. city girl, she had a hot girl summer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then she, oh, yeah. she met this smooth Casanova guy. Yeah. And then you know he happened to you know put the the the, the good charms on or whatnot, and then he got her pregnant. Typical as it was back in the day, you get shipped back to your hometown, and he got missing. And then how did? the interaction or how did your your mother and your father actually meet one another did they know one another prior to her moving my mother or... and father my mother and father knew each other from around right my father was significantly older than my mother about how many years i don't know exactly but it was like a lot it was like a lot like my mother was 18 at the time and i don't really know how old my father was at the time i can't do the math in my head but my mother's aunt, my aunt, Mary Emma, um, when they found out my mom was pregnant, my, my aunt, my great aunt negotiated this marriage um, between the two of them. And just for the record, like he treats uh, and treated my brother like really well. Wow. Picked up on that, and we yeah. said yeah. that too. Yeah, that was the yeah. so she didn't slip it past him. He, but, but, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing about that. Um, as their relationship, and you know, because my mother didn't love him, you know, and he kind of viewed her as property. Um, mm. And as their relationship grew, as their relationship grew more contentious, he would use that over her. Like, I married you when nobody else would have you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and he used that, I think, to make her feel like she was worthless. Like, you know what I mean? It reminded me of the scene on uh, Color Purple. You was nothing. Right. You- <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he was bad as mischief, but um, he, you know, there would be times when he would, you know, say that to her. So, yeah, she didn't slip it past him, but, um, you know, it, it was known. Um, I, but here's the thing, though. We, we kids never knew you know i didn't know you know um so you didn't uh, find out until you were older i didn't find out until i was much older much much older all you know is you just enjoy picking your daddy up from the steel mill i love that i love that when we would go pick him up at night it was the best it was the best that was like the time when i just really felt like Like a family yeah like a family you know but we we found out about that much much later it was like a, a secret but you know, my, my brother, as I say, I mean, I don't, we don't look alike and he's very tall and I'm not, he's very tall and lanky and, um, you know, and Does your I brother do know his dad. Is he light skinned? What's that? Does your brother know I, his dad? I don't know. I, I mean, for me that, 
you know, I wouldn't tell you even if I did know, cause that's kind of his business. Right. Gotcha. Um, but he, um, you know, I always felt like growing up that we were so different. How could we even be related? I mean, and we are, you know, but he was just so good at everything. And I always felt, thought my, I was so bad at everything. Brian, mm. when I was reading that, uh, I, 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 I got that part, how, the 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 huge dichotomy between the physical abilities. Yeah. But you guys shared the same mother and you yeah. guys slept under the same roof. Absolutely. As I was reading this, if your brother was like this star, he should have had confidence and he should have protected you and your sister. And I was wondering like why is he not protecting them and why is he blending in with these knuckleheads and not Stepping up for his brother. Your brother had the ability to make everybody shut up about you. Whatever they wanted to say about you, they they would have been too scared to say it or express it because they know what was behind those words. Right. You know, sometimes, you know, a knuckle sandwich works, baby. Um, Are you talking to me? I don't mm-hmm. think that's actually true, Lenny, because his brother Ike, was always under the threat of, like, being teased and harassed himself. Right. Like, yeah, he I mean, popular to, and had all that shit yeah. going on. But, like, it was, like, a very, like... Tenuous he, uh, position he was in, like he was always yeah. like, "Niggas, you gay too? Because if you gay, we gonna fight you as well." Hold on, let, let, hold on. I, I think it just depends on how you take it. Give me permission, uh, and, and, I, and I don't want to get this wrong, and I edit it out if I'm wrong if I say this. Is is can I say the word sissy? Like, um, I mean, <laughs> like acting like a girl. The word sissy. I mean, earlier. like, so did you? Were you and your brother? <laughs> Were you and your brother like uh, acting like sissies that made people think uh, that come to you and your brother be like, oh, both of y'all no. gay? No, 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 no. No, Here's okay. And, and this is something that I think you have to understand. Um, and I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm old and like trying to tell you something, but I am old. But, you know, when you are 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 years old, it is important. It is the most important thing in the world for you to fit in, right? Correct. It was it was important to my brother that he fit in, that he have friends at school. Um, I was a liability to that. I was, you know, complete. I mean, he. I mean, it's not unheard of for a. Uh, you know, a brother or sister to be embarrassed by their brother, younger brother or sister. You know what I mean? But, you know, and that's what he was. He was embarrassed by me. He was embarrassed by our whole family because we were clearly poor. Um, We, I mean, we didn't have that bond that some families have, like protect your, my sister protected me. My brother was very much interested in having a life outside of our very dysfunctional house. Um, He was interested in having friends and having girlfriends and I was a liability. And as you say, he could have protected me um, and he chose not to. And I have absolutely forgiven him for that because he was going through his own shit. I hate to hear that. I hate to hear that you, you, uh, that you have accepted it and and it comes out your mouth saying that you were. What's the age difference between you and your brother? My brother is four, wait, wait, four years older than me. 
So he was a senior. You was a freshman in in high school. Uh, I think so. I don't think we went to high school for very long. But my, you know, he played football and stuff like that. And you know, when I mean, it was just kind of an unspoken rule, like not to, you know, not to talk to him in public. You know, and, and again, my brother and I have sat down, and he's talked to me about what he was going through at that time. And, and there's no reason for me to be angry with him because, again, he was going through his own thing. We were all going through our own thing. My sister was going through her own thing. Absolutely. You know, I mean, everyone we was like, trying to figure it out for themselves. It was. It's almost like when you were on the plane and everybody's like, put your own mask on first. You got to save yourself before you can save others. Right. And in our family environment, it really was like every man for himself. Like, you know, my mother and father didn't 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 work together, you know, um, and therefore they had three kids who didn't really work together. Like we were all just trying to like, you know, survive, emotionally like, survive. Yeah. Um, so that's why. And I love my brother. My brother's great. We're both grown ass people now. I mean, there's certain things that are just in the past. And when you get hindsight and you look back, you know, my brother wasn't a villain either. My father wasn't a villain. My mother wasn't a villain. Hell, I, even I wasn't a villain. Um, it's that. just a matter of you, you, you have to, you got to grow up at some point. The reason that this book exists is not to demonize anybody. Um, it is, it is about, it is a, about how hard it can be to grow up different, you know, you know what? And I can I, see that too, um, Brian, it, and that's very interesting. I think a lot of people are just so frightened by the idea that they're always going to be singled out or pointed out because all this toxic masculinity is the rave. And, you know, it really isn't anything. Like you said, if everyone just kind of stays in their lane, it makes it a lot easier for everyone else. Because for me, looking at all of this, it's just a lot easier just to let people be who they are. And sometimes yeah. it's just really hard. And it seems like from my distance and looking at everybody else, it's only hard because it threatens that other person. And that other person always has to have something to criticize someone else about to make themselves feel better or make themselves feel right. Just like you said earlier, you know, some evangelical Christian who, you know, wants to kill you, which Killing is like the number one sin, I would think, but they think it's absolutely okay to to kill someone based on their own belief that is based in pretty much nothing. Well, you know, I think the let's talk about the word normal. You know, the word normal is like a really powerful word, right? Like to be normal is to be accepted. And the only, and some way, the only way some people can prove how normal they are, how acceptable they are, is to sort of prove how abnormal somebody else is, you know. And it is, it is detrimental to to human other human beings, you know. I know when somebody, I mean, white people do it too. Like they think white is normal, so they go out of their way to prove that black people aren't normal, Asian people aren't normal, you know, and brown people aren't normal, you know. Or that somehow they're worse, you know. It's a powerful, powerful drug to consider yourself normal. Because then what you do 
is you go about proving or, or telling yourself over and over again how abnormal everybody else is. That exalts you. And you make a really good point, you know, and they'll go to great lengths to do that. They will kill you to do that. They will. And as I was talking earlier, there are certain things that some people just need to believe. And if you challenge them on it, they will go fucking nuts because it is their core belief. I am more normal than you. I am more acceptable than you. I am more, you know, uh, you know, worthy of God's love than you, you know, and it's just this weird thing that people do. Um, and that's the bullshit that I don't believe anymore. You know, that's the stuff that this book is about. I don't believe you anymore when you tell me that you are somehow more worthy than I am, either because of your color or because of your sexual identity or because of your gender or your sex, whatever. I don't believe you anymore. And that's the point of this book. That's how, you know, I think I've gotten stronger because I believed it for most, most of my life. Brian, I, um, today um, I was telling somebody about this recording and um, this was somebody who I was actually introducing our whole podcast platform to. It was a young man and his father. And the young man I would presume was like mid thirties, maybe early forties. And so we were walking and I said, yeah, we got the, uh, the author of the book on tonight. And, um, and he said, uh, so what's the book about? I <laughs> said, well, it's, a, uh, it's about a black gay dude and all the shit they go through. And they just both kind of stopped. And it was like, yeah, man, can they catch hell from everywhere? I was like, exactly. <laughs> That's what the book was about. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Am I, like, changing, I, am I changing Harvey around? Is it what? No, 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 no. It's, about things? No, 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 no. We good. We was always good because I don't, I told you, I said from the beginning, bro, I want everybody to buy your book. I just was like, don't read it because it's painful. But like, <laughs> we, we want to support you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think you're dope, bro. I think, I think the whole story I know. is dope. I'm just, I'm just you know? teasing you. And, 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 you know, it, it's just, it's just, um, it's just like, I just think it's, a, it's, 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 it's unfortunate that we put through each other through so much shit. Like people do it, like humans don't have natural predators, so they get a they get off on fucking with each other. Yeah, I think you know? that might be right, you know. And I have just sort of decided, like you know, now you know, it's like Lenny was saying at the at the beginning, like you know, you you started off say, saying all these nice things about me and about my writing, um, which I appreciate. But you, here's the thing: I believe you. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to be some like humility, humility, like, oh, my gosh, I thank you so much. Thank you. But I believe you. You know, I believe that I have the power to tell stories and stories are very powerful. Um, so, no, I don't believe that somebody who thinks they're normal is better than I am or somehow more worthy than I am. And no, I don't believe because you, you know, have sex with women, you are more normal or better than I am. Speaking no, of women, right? So look, speaking of women, it was a part in the story that like had me dying laughing, right? So oh, no. this one of the bars uh from that part of the story. It says, uh, when you was I guess you was in college or you was dating this one chick at the time, and it was time to get intimate with the young lady or whatnot, and you was making this big avoidance, like you was going all around the stops to uh try to avoid like, you know, having sex with her. And as you was doing your thing, like going downtown on being rated R, you was 
munching uh uh and she and she was like uh the quote from the book says uh what's the problem she says uh as you were doing that you says uh she says every time i look down i see you looking at my vagina like it's a math problem dog <laughs> that had me laughing so hard <laughs> I talked to her yesterday too. Oh wow. Me, she and I are still really, really good friends. Oh, and, and Derek uh uh met her. Oh that's who it was. Um oh, <laughs> oh I didn't no, tell I you didn't, that. I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> oh well now you know. <laughs> No, I almost got that. I almost got that. <laughs> I couldn't figure out the problem, though. I ain't know whether I should bring over the wine. Oh, man. In fact, and she just, she just has a sense of it because um, when we were at dinner that day, uh, Brian was like, I had no idea you were gay. And Tara was like, I kind of saw it when you came in. And I, yeah. I was like, "What the hell? What the hell?" But at that point, I was, yeah. I was, I was different. I was much more relaxed. So she was like, "Yeah, I can see it all over you." But uh, so she saw, she saw, yeah. she saw it in you too. <laughs> She's still a really good friend of all over your face. And I, uh, I had to ask her if I could write that story, and she was like, "Yeah, I want everybody to know how terrible you were." Um, <laughs> oral sex. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, oh, it's a story between. It's one of the stories that you know, you know. I don't, you know, I don't. This that's why. It's sometimes why I push back against, you know, it, people who say this is a trauma narrative because there, there's funny shit that happens. Me trying to play basketball is hilarious. Like, yes, you know, yes, hilarious. It's not because yeah, you, you know what the fuck you you like me out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm terrible. But um, so that's why I think that even in pain, you can find humor and even in trauma, you can find a giggle every once in a while. There's something funny about it. You know, me, you know, me trying to do oral sex on a woman is hilarious. It should not happen ever, ever. Oh, God. (laughs) See, that's the, yeah. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's like one of the ride. things that. Yeah, it's one of the things that that uh, you know that I didn't want to write because that's embarrassing. But at the same time, you know, you gotta real. embarrass yourself a little bit. Brian, I wanted to follow up with this. And this is why this is not a cautionary tale because there's so many levels and there's so many subtitles, I mean, sub-stories you can get out of this. One of them is about depression, self-esteem, and bouncing back. When your mother came and picked you up from school and you sank up in the bed, like I I read that part earlier, um, what happened in your life after that? Like, did you go back to college? Did you finish? How did you get yourself up and start back moving forward? No, it was a long time, and I, you know, when I got to Pittsburgh, you know, that's when I found um, drugs. So, you know, it was just many, many years of just uh, drugs, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, and a lot of sex. Like literally, what you're looking at now is the is the is the product of probably is 
of uh, you know about ten years of sobriety, because the whole period before that it was just you know it's just one big blur. It was all um, heroin and cocaine and alcohol. Um, so this is what you're looking at. This is how I'm getting myself up. You know. Did you ever go um, back to school? Oh yeah, I have a master's degree now in um, in uh, creative writing, and I teach at college. That's right. Uh, at, yeah. So, at what point did you go back to school? When I got sober, when I when I got out of rehab, um, I went to CCAC, uh, which is a community college here in Pittsburgh. Um, so, as soon as I got out of rehab, I was like, I got to fix this. Like, you know, it's been you know thirty years of you know wasted time. So I went to community college and then I went to uh, the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, no, uh, I went to Chatham University um, and got my bachelor's. And then I got my master's degree uh, at the University of Pittsburgh. And then I've just been teaching all over. And now I am tenure track at WB. But can you can you tell them can you tell them about. Uh, so Brian was saying something that uh, he was in class and he'd be going up for awards that his professors were going up for for writing awards. And then Brian would get it. And then didn't you have that, that experience where you would get an award, you were being taught how to write? Yeah, I mean, people told me about it. I don't know it firsthand, but, uh, you know, while I was in undergrad, I was I was doing, you know, there's writing contests. And, um, you know, I had heard some of my professors were entering the same contests. Uh, and I was their student and I was like winning them, um, you know, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, those those contests are, are, are uh, you know, they're just contests, but. I'm kind of proud of that, but, um, you know, that I won some, some things, but, you know, it's just been the last 10 years has just been pretty incredible. Like, you know, a lot has happened really fast and I'm here for it. You know, man, I appreciate you giving us your time. Yeah. It's 1130. Y'all don't know. I'm an old man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. And, you know, thank you for, thank you. Thank you for not wearing a watch and, and timing us. Yeah. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for being on our podcast. We just a little, we just a little, uh, tiny little podcast with big ideas. Hey, one, one thing I want to say for you, uh, ended off, Lenny, man. Like the reason I like this book, uh, so much now, man, because of the fact tonight's episode. Have you ever read the book, um, uh, Decoded by Jay Z? No. All right. So basically, the book is like he's he's putting his rap lyrics in the book, right? But he's also like telling like the backstories behind like the raps and the lyrics or whatnot. Tonight was kind of like a decoding situation for this book for us anyways, because we had our po previous podcast. We all had our views, our points, our projections of what we all thought that Brian was talking about. And tonight to be able to have the actual author on the book to be able to decode some of these situations, man, was like fucking awesome man so uh that was cool man thank you thank you guys so much for having me i really appreciate it everybody except for harvey um <laughs> <laughs> thank you mm -hmm. hey we love we love harvey we love harvey but seriously thank you guys so much mm -hmm. for having me thank you for listening click subscribe Share with a friend and give us a five-star rating. Come back.